Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King and Andy Esco joining us soon with Jim Feist as we go against the spread on this week number three of the National Football League card, week number four in college football. And I can't believe it, guys. We're going to blink, and already October is going to be here. We love it the way it is right now, but are you sort of sad, Victor, a little bit that football seems to be passing by real quick? Right. We're uh, approaching the first month of the season being over, and uh, we'll take it thus far, particularly in the NFL. Our totals plays off another winning week, 4-2 and two last week. We're now a documented 8-2 and two ATS in the NFL, that's for our King Creole uh, NFL over-under play. So, again, we're pleased with those two-week results thus far in pro football. And uh, somebody else uh, had a winning weekend in combined college and NFL as well, and that would be Mark Lawrence and his preferred picks, Lake Phone Service. Of course, it started on Saturday with that four-star best bet underdog game of the month. South Carolina plus the double digits against Georgia. You watched the game. The ATS result was pretty much never in doubt. South Carolina, I believe, even had a double-digit lead at halftime. So they easily covered the number uh, in that game against Georgia. Very nicely done by Mark Lawrence. Of course, he wrapped up the entire weekend with that NFL Monday night winner on the home dog Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Uh, even Mark's uh, opinion plays, the two-star bonus opinion plays, brought home the bacon. Boston College on Saturday, Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. So nicely done there uh, last weekend in both pro and college football, Mark. Well, thank you, Victor. It was nice to see South Carolina a little bit one of what you might call a rocking chair game. And uh, we don't like to talk about raising the flag or pumping our chest for a rocking chair game. But all I know is I was watching the game the second half. I felt like it was in a rocking chair and I almost fell asleep. There you go. <laughs> Unlike the Georgia Bulldog fans who really rallied back, Georgia did to their credit. Kirby Smart gave them a whooping in the, at halftime and got their attention real quick. So nonetheless, it was all in all a pretty good week. Andy, how was your week last week, college and pro football wise? Uh, the college week was, uh, was a solid week. Uh, the NFL pretty good as well. Didn't have any major uh, fluctuations, either good or bad this week. So it was a steady week. One I'll take uh, virtually every week uh, during the uh, course of the season. Uh, I was on a number of the games that you were on as well. I certainly liked that letdown spot for Florida State last week, making Boston College a big play. I'll be interested to see what happens this week. Uh, one of those spots looking at is uh, the college game between Charlotte and uh, Florida. Florida after their a big home underdog upset win over Tennessee, laying a big number to Charlotte. And if I recall correctly, Florida has a game, a revenge game against Kentucky up next. So this may be one of those games again. Uh, it may not get quite as hairy as the Boston College Florida State game did, where Florida State almost uh, blew that uh, not not uh, not very comfortable lead, but they did have a lead in Boston College, which has been a really bad team this year, came back. So that was one of the highlights of the week, as was the uh, uh, the play on uh, – 
uh, on Florida to win that game against Tennessee. We talked about the history, I think, last week. And we'll see. Uh, there are a couple of games on the uh, board this week as well that uh, are some very nice situational spots, both in the NFL and especially college football. You know, people oftentimes say that uh, when you're looking to play letdown football games, you have to take a look at who it is you're using, not so much who it is you're beating, because sometimes the team you're using has to be able to be capable of playing. But in a case like you mentioned Boston College last week, Charlotte this week, it oftentimes leads to that big favorite just playing down to their level, just not being interested in them in a football game like that. So uh, I don't let that bother me so much as who it is we're using. I'll let the odds makers determine that with this price in the football game. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But I know one thing, guys. This is a college football card this week that is for really loaded with marquee matchups. We've got no less than seven games involving teams that are rated in the top 25. So that makes always for good handicapping. We're going to love it. We're going to tear one of those apart with our featured college football game of the week. Victor, before we do that, how about a look back last week at what happened in the world of college football, NFL maybe also, with favorites, dogs, and totals as you have them broke out? We'll hold off on the NFL stuff. Um, as far as what happened in pro football, we'll save that for our uh, King Creole NFL segment a little later cool. in the show. But with that said, it keep, we keep on getting split right down the middle when it comes to college football. It happened again last week. You know, two weeks ago, underdogs went 22 and 22 ATS. Last week, underdogs went 27 and 27 ATS. Home dogs, 8 and 10. Road dogs, 18 and 17. Again, everything split right down the middle. Even the year-to-date numbers are pretty much mind-blowing. Nothing really jumping out at you as underdogs on the season now. 75, 75, and 2 ATS. Home dogs, 27 and 23. Road dogs, 68 and 52. Uh, conference dogs, not bad at 12 and 7 against the spread thus far. Non-conference at 63 and 68. The only real aspect that's jumped out at me in terms of our database has been the fact that college football teams playing with revenge have done very well on the season. 44 and 23 ATS. Right in that 65 to 66% uh, meaty range, that's uh, college football teams playing with revenge. They've gone 19 and 11 ATS at home, 25 and ATS on the road. That's what you want to be looking at these days if, you, if we have that extra motivation of revenge in college football. And in terms of non-conference play, man, it doesn't get any better than the Pac-12. Uh, ironic, since it's probably the last year for this conference, that they are the clear-cut uh, most profitable conference in college football. 29-5 and five straight up in non-conference play. 17-7-1 ATS. They're the only Power 5 conference that is significantly profitable on the season in non-conference play. Uh, ACC 14-13. and 13. Big 10, 13 and 16. These are all ATS numbers. Uh, Big 12, 13 and 16. And SEC, 10 and 15. Again, uh, three out of the five Power 5 conferences are below 500 on the season in non-conference play. I'll wrap it up with a quick look at the group of five. And uh, the group of five conferences have actually been pretty profitable on the season again. In non-conference play, Conference USA 10 and 7 ATS, the Sun Belt 13 and 10 ATS, uh, the Mountain West 15 and 10 ATS, 
uh, AAC 11 and 19, and finally MAC Conference Act 13 and 13. If you're wondering about the totals, Saturday's games went 25 and 29 over under on the year, 73 overs, 81 unders. It is still in conference play in which the higher under percentages have hit. There's been 18 conference games thus far. 13 of those 18 have indeed gone under the total. There you have it, guys. Uh, the numbers in college football pretty much split right down the middle as we head into uh, what looks like week five action. Great recap, Victor, going over last week's college football card. A lot of action on tap this particular week as well. And what do you say, Andy, Victor? Let's get over to that college football game of the week that we've got on tap this week. And I want to remind our listeners that this is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv. That's Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R.lv, where they feature minus 105 juice on Fridays on every football play you make for the entire weekend. That's 105 for juice at uwager.lv. You can make all your plays Saturday college football, the weekend Sunday in the NFL. Do it all on Fridays. Save yourself the juice, lay 105. To check it out, simply log on at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free. The number is 1-800-U-WAGER. That's 1-800-Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R. And with that, guys, let's take a look at our featured college football game of the week we've got on tap. And we think we got a beauty here in the Southeast Conference, another marquee matchup, if you will, when Alabama looks to right the ship against Mississippi when they take them on in Southeast Conference play this week. Victor, how do you see the over-under total shaking out in this game? Well, Mark, you know, at the top of the show, you mentioned it's a great, great schedule of college football games. We probably could have picked one of six different games. Uh, there are six games this week matching two teams who are both in the top 25. There were no games last week uh, in that criteria, and yet there are six this week. Of course, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, uh, Washington State against Oregon State, uh, Utah against UCLA, Colorado against Oregon, and our game here in the SEC Conference, Mississippi and Alabama. It's a 3.30 Eastern uh, kickoff. In uh, Alabama, uh, Crimson Tide right around a seven-point home favorite. Uh, pretty low in conference play, if you ask me. Over-under line, open at 55. It's currently at 55 and a half. It's gone up about a half point. Both of these teams, two and one over-under on the season, uh, primarily in non-conference play, so uh, not too much fuel in regards to that. Uh, Mississippi games have averaged 69.3 combined points per game, but Alabama games, only 47.0. Their numbers skewed down based on what happened last week when they were down here in the Sunshine State and won only 17-3 to against South Florida. A series history, yeah, been a lot of shootouts in this series. Six out of the last nine meetings have gone over the total when Alabama takes on Ole Miss Average line, 63.0. Average score, 74.1. Average margin, plus 11.1 points per game. As I mentioned, we have seen multiple high-scoring shootouts. Uh, four games were scored in the 80s. And as recently as 2020, just three seasons ago, these two teams combined for 111 combined points. You know, it's not every year. 
that we see Alabama enter a game with a, a sputtering offense. And the way Nick Saban kind of handled that quarterback situation last week on the road was not good, uh, that's for sure. It looks like he will be going back to Jalen Milrow at quarterback this particular week. We do know that, of course, Ole Miss playing with a lot of confidence, winning by over 20 points in every game thus far. And we also know that Lane Kiffin from Mississippi is intimately familiar with Nick Saban's program. Of course, he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama several years ago. I know personnel changes have occurred, but uh, you got to figure that Miss has got a pretty good edge against an Alabama defense that once again surrenders multiple big plays, multiple explosive plays, particularly two weeks ago when we covered that game at home against Texas, another game in which we advised going over the total. And that's the way we're going to look at it right now with a manageable number at 55 and a half points. Of course, we're getting value now on that number because Bama is off that struggling, low-scoring road game against South Florida last week in which the final score was 17-3. to We cannot ignore the fact that we are getting anywhere from three to five points of value on the over in this one. Based on my database models before the OU line even came out, our suggested over-under line was in the range of 58-61 points. Well, we're currently at 55 and a half. With that said, the over is worth a small wager in this particular game. Uh, as again, the final score should be a back and forth affair somewhere in the low to mid 60s. And again, we'll recommend a small play on the over between these two SEC clubs. Victor recommends a small play to the over in this Alabama-Mississippi football game. So if you're anticipating over under plays, look for a semi well, let's scoreboard. Maybe a bulb or two might flicker out, but leans over the total in this football game. Andy, how do you see this showdown taking out between two former uh, head coach and his assistant? Well, I'm certainly not going to disagree with uh, Victor's analysis of the uh, total in this game. All the points are legitimate. And, yeah, you look for situations. In fact, the fact that Alabama was involved in such a low-scoring game uh, last week has probably given us an additional uh, a couple of points in the total. Uh, but th this is clearly, at least from their first three efforts, not the Alabama team we're accustomed to uh, uh, to seeing. And I'm actually going to make a case for Alabama in this game. Uh, it could be considered a square play, but it's very rare indeed for an Alabama team that repeatedly recruits NFL talent to be a single-digit home favorite. Coach Saban arrived in 2007. This is just the sixth time that Alabama will be laying between six and a half and nine and a half points and the first time since back in 2015. In the previous five such spots, Alabama is 5-0 and straight up, but just uh, a modest 3-2 and uh, against the spread. Uh, but this is much like our uh, analysis last week of Florida and Tennessee. This has long been a one-sided rivalry as Alabama is 27-4 and straight up versus Ole Miss since 1991. Uh, the point spread results, not quite as one-sided as that goes, but you, when you're talking Alabama laying single digits, it's quite likely uh, that if Alabama is successful against the former assistant uh, in uh, Lane Kiffin, that this will be a double-digit win. Maybe not a high double-digit, but uh, maybe 13 to 17 points. Uh, Nick Saban has long excelled 
uh, versus former assistants. Although uh, Steve Sarkeesian is putting a little bit of an end to that theory with his success at Texas, both keeping the game close last year and the outright upset a couple of weeks ago. Uh, since Kiffin has been at Ole Miss, the tide is 3-0 and straight up, 2-1 and ATS, outscoring the Rebels 135-93, to which is in line with Victor's analysis of the uh, high-scoring probability or certainly possibility, if not probability, for this game. And despite the lethargic play against both Texas and South Alabama, the tide begins begins its real season, the quest to dethrone Georgia as defending SEC champs. This is their, uh, their opening game in conference play. Their real season begins, and if they can run the table and win the SEC title game, quite likely against Georgia, it's not a stretch at all to see the tide back in the college football uh, playoffs. I've got Alabama actually uh, winning a game that uh, has them winning by 17 points, uh, but uh, I think Alabama should be the uh, right side in this game, even though it will be a square play. Well, Andy, I have to agree with your logic here. I, you are from thelogicalapproach.com, after all, so it happens to be logical analysis for sure in the game, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. This is an Alabama football team that a lot of the public is down on right now. Nick Saban had that deer in his headlight looks uh, after he lost earlier and also after that struggle at USF South Florida, my goodness, when he played three quarterbacks in the football game. Take a look at how they shape up in this game. Ole Miss comes in here at just one and five straight up the last six games in the series. They're also one and five to the spread in their first conference game of the year, going back six straight years. Lane Kiffin, a former assistant, when he takes on teams in which he has the better record and the opponent has a win percentage of 666 or better, a good qualified team, he's only one and four straight up and against the spread in those particular football games. Taking a look at Alabama, everything is all obviously from the Nick Saban side of things. As I mentioned, taking on Lane Kiffin, a former assistant, Saban now 29-4 and four straight up against former assistants, but even better if that former assistant is undefeated coming into this football game. He's 7-1 and one straight up and 6-2 and two against the spread in those particular contests. That undefeated opponent really gets his dandruff raised. Also, you take a look at what, are, what they're doing coming in here. They lost their previous home game, did the Tide. And I look back at Nick Saban in his career when he's at home off a previous home loss. He's been there eight times. He's won seven of those football games straight up. And also take a look at uh, what he does against opponents that have a better record. Nick Saban in this role, 14-0 straight up and 10-4 and against the spread. All pretty solid numbers for Nick Saban coming into this contest here. A little bit of value, you might say, for the number. Laying a touchdown in this game, it probably would have been double digits had the Tide not been struggling as they are right now coming into the contest. But what I also like here is the last time Nick Saban lost a previous home game, uh, he, bounce, he bounces back and wins those football games. I'm going to look for just that to happen here. I'll lay the points with Alabama along with Andy for my side in this football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, we're going to be joining in now for Andy Isco as he takes a Vegas vibe look at all the current line updates that are happening in all the contests in Las Vegas. Andy, take it away, if you will. Here's the contest recap for the Las Vegas football contest for the uh, previous weekend. That would be week number two in the NFL, week number three in college football. I mentioned college football because there is one major contest here in Las Vegas sponsored by the Golden Nugget called the Golden Nuggets 
Ultimate Football Challenge. You pick seven picks a week. They could be a combination or exclusively college or pro from basically every game on the board, NFL sides or college sides, no totals involved. And because there are so many games to choose from, there's really not uh, much of a uh, consensus play that they publish each week. But rather, let me just give you the standing so you get some idea of how the uh, contestants are doing as far as the leaderboard is concerned. Through the first two weeks, there have been 14 picks made by each of the contestants. There are 153 entries this year, paid a $1,000 entry fee, and there are two who are in the lead right now, 11 and 3. You get 11 point, you get, excuse me, one point for a win, half a point for a push. So 11 and 3 translates to 11 out of a possible 14 points. That works out to a 78.6 winning percentage for the two leaders of the Golden Nugget contest. There are 11 contestants at 10 and 4, and four contestants at 9, 4, and 1. Uh, the, the two main properties sponsoring the contests are the Westgate uh, Superbook and the Circa Sports uh, Book. Uh, I deal with both of these contests each week, and I will report to you as I am about to do right now. First on the Westgate Super Contest. Both the Circa Millions and the Westgate Super Contest, as we've mentioned in past weeks, have a similar format. Five selections per week per entry against a static line. Now, the Westgate publishes their lines for the contest on Wednesday afternoons about 5 p.m. Pacific time. The Circa waits a little bit under, uh, well, about 12, 15 hours, around 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. So there is a slight difference in most weeks in some but not all of the point spreads being used. We'll start with the, uh, the main contest, which is the Super Contest Classic, as it's become referred to. That contest first got its start back in the uh, late 1980s, I believe 1988 was the first year. And uh, this year for the Super Contest, there were a total of 1,300. I'm going to have to pause here for a second. Three, two, one. For the Super Contest Classic this year, there were a total of 1,301 entries that carried an entry fee of $1,000, so the overall prize pool just over $1.3 million. In this contest, I report on the consensus plays each week of the top five so that you can see how the field as a whole would have submit, submitted their entry selections based upon the popularity of the 1,300 uh entrance in the contest uh, going into this past weekend the consensus had been uh, four and one from week one a very successful start to the season and here in uh, week number two the contestants went three and two the most popular selection for week number two was the atlanta falcons in the contest they were getting plus one from the green bay packers the actual betting board moved that line to atlanta being a one point favorite in cases up in some cases, actually as high as two. And actually, Atlanta came from behind to win that game by exactly one point. So those who were on the Atlanta Falcons, there were 389 of the 1,301 contestants who were on the Atlanta Falcons, and they picked up a win. The second most popular selection, the Seattle Seahawks, getting five and a half points at Detroit. They didn't need the points as the Seahawks pulled the outright upset. 
The 375 contestants picked up a win there. The third most popular selection, however, the New England Patriots uh, getting three points in the contest at home, uh, excuse me, uh, at home on Sunday night in their game against division rival Miami. And that did not come through as Miami won that game 24-17. So that was one of the two uh, losers. The second loser, the New York Jets, getting nine and a half points in their contest at Dallas. Of course, that line, which had originally been three points when it first opened prior to Buffalo Jet game on Monday night football, uh, adjusted after the Aaron Rodgers injury, and yet Dallas won that game comfortably. So that was a loser for the 281 contestants who played the New York Jets. And finally, Monday night wrapped up the week with a winner on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were two and a half point home underdogs against the Cleveland Browns, a division rival. And of course, Pittsburgh won that game on a pair of defensive touchdowns to cover the plus two and a half. Three and two for the week, a total of uh, seven and three for the consensus for the first two weeks of the contest. Uh, the leaderboard shows five contestants at nine and one for the season, the first 10 picks. Seven are at eight, one and one, and another 47 are at eight and two in the uh, Super Contest uh, uh classic now the super contest gold is the winner take all a five thousand dollar entry fee attracted 92 entries this year so the one winner at the end of the contest will take home four hundred and sixty thousand dollars uh here i'll just quickly without the individual selection numbers i'll just mention the consensus which was three and two in week one went three and two in week two so a total of six and four for the uh, season so far. As you can imagine, with only 92 entries, there aren't going to be very many that have a huge number in the consensus. And in fact, I will just point out that uh, Seattle and Atlanta, as they did in the Super Contest Classic, they actually tied for the most popular selection in the gold, but each had only 29 of the 92 entries selecting them. Uh, the other winner was also Pittsburgh on Monday night. And the two losers uh, were the... Um, uh, the Jaguars against Kansas City and also the um, Patriots on Sunday night against Miami. So the consensus is six and four for the season for the Super Contest Gold. The two contestants are in the lead with an eight, one and one record. Six more are at eight and two. So that is the uh, the Westgate contest. Uh, right now, the premier contest in Las Vegas is the one being sponsored by the Circa Sportsbook of the uh, Circa Hotel and Casino here in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, they uh, sponsored two contests, one called the Circa Millions, very much like the Westgate Super Contest, five picks a week against a static line. As I indicated earlier, the lines will vary for a couple of games, usually by no more than half a point. And uh, the other contest, which has gained in great popularity, the Circa Survivor, where you make one selection a week straight up, not against the point spread, if you win, you advance. If you lose, you're out. Uh, and uh, this uh, has become a very popular contest. You cannot use the same team twice, and I'll get to that one in a moment. First, we'll go to the Circa Millions contest, which attracted 5,274 entries this season. Uh, they needed 6,000 to break even because the contest does carry a $6 million guarantee. So the Circa is on the hook for 726,000, making it an overlay and explaining why so many contestants waited for the last few days to sign up for this contest to make sure that they were still buying into an overlay situation. Again, the entry fee, $1,000, $6 million payday. Uh, this contest, uh, again, slightly different lines, which resulted 
in a slightly different record for the consensus this week because there were a couple of games uh, overall which were pushes, including uh, one of which was in the contest. The most popular uh, selection this week was the Kansas City Chiefs. 1,626 contestants out of the 52-74, so about 30% of the contestants, a shade under 30%, were on the Kansas City Chiefs laying three at Jacksonville. Uh, Kansas City won that game 17-9, so those contestants uh, got a win. The uh, second most popular selection for the week, uh, the uh, New York Giants laying four and a half. I'll have more on that game in, in uh, the Survivor Contest information. Uh, that, of course, came up short as the Giants overcame a 20 and then a 21-point deficit to win 31-28. Winning by three but failing to cover the four and a half. So that was a loser as the number two selection. The number three selection, the Atlanta Falcons, the contest line, unlike the Westgate, which had Atlanta plus one, Atlanta was minus one, which was exactly the margin by which they defeated Green Bay. So that counts as a push. Uh, the fourth most popular selection, uh, the Miami Dolphins, uh, the opponent of the New England Patriots. Remember, the Patriots were a selection in the Westgate. The Dolphins were the uh, selection in the uh, uh, Circa Millions. Uh, 1,189 contestants were on that one. That was a win. And then the fifth most popular selection ended up being a uh, uh, selection on the Tennessee Titans plus three against the Chargers. That was an, uh, an outright winner in overtime. So three, one, and one, the result for the contestants in the Circa Millions. Six, three, and one on the season for the contestants. For, uh, excuse me, for the consensus. The contestants with the lead, two of them are a perfect 10 and 0 through two weeks of the season. Two contestants or two entries. It could be the same contestants, actually. Two entries at 9 0 and 1 for nine and a half of a possible 10 points. 22 are at 9 and 1 overall. And of course, the percentages are somewhat meaningless at this early stage of the season. 1,877 contestants, or 35.6% of the overall field, that's a little bit more than a third, are at 6 and 4, hitting 60% or better through the first two weeks. And you'll uh, gradually see this number drop over the course of the coming weeks as the contestants uh, don't fare quite as well as they did the first two weeks as we have more information uh, with which to confuse us as we make our entries each week and that reflects itself in the results. Finally, the big contest, the Circa Millions. That's the contest. You put up $1,000 and as I mentioned, you pick one pick a week against the, uh, uh, not against the spread, but straight up and if they win, you advance. The uh, guaranteed prize pool was $8 million, so the Circa needed 8,000 entries this year to uh, uh, to fund uh, the contest without having to put in any additional funds. And they were on par, uh, pace to uh, come close to 10,000 entries. They actually ended up with 9,267 entries, and uh, uh, that meant $9.267 million goes to the winner or winners. Uh, and, of course, uh, you'd have to be the last contest entry remaining and often there will be a tie in fact this is the fourth year of the contest the first three contestants uh, the first three seasons rather of the contest all went the maximum number of weeks there's 20 weeks in the contest because you have two selections in separate parts of thanksgiving and then again on Christmas week for 20 weeks. So the first three years, it all went 20 weeks, and we'll see what happens this year. Of the 9,267 contestants, 1,992, or 21.5% of the field, were eliminated in week one with several major upsets, including uh, Minnesota losing to Tampa Bay and Seattle uh, losing at home to the Rams. That left 7,275 contestants alive for week two. 1,351 were eliminated in week two. That's 14.6% of the original field. 
or 18.6% of those that survived week one, such that 5,924 entrants remain alive. Uh, that's 63.9% of the original entry field. Uh, the two biggest uh, selections this week that went down, the Denver Broncos, 847 of the 72-75 went down with Denver as they uh, collapsed against Washington. Uh, the uh, Detroit Lions, uh, losing most of the way, ended up uh, losing in overtime. 348 contestants were on uh, Detroit. Uh, there were almost 1,300 entrants that lost, uh, but uh, that was the New York Giants. 1,292 contestants were on the New York Giants. That was the second most popular selection this weekend. As noted earlier, the uh, Giants fell behind 20 nothing at the half. They scored in the third quarter. Arizona answered the score. So in the third quarter, Arizona was up 28-7. to And uh, the Giants came back to ultimately win that game 31-28, saving the entry fee uh, for the uh, uh, 1,292 contestants, or in other words, $1,300,000 of that prize pool almost went down on that uh, late comeback by the Giants. The most popular uh, pick last week, uh, that had uh, the greatest number of selections that did survive. The Buffalo Bills, not surprisingly, had 2,935 uh, of the uh, entries on them. That's a significant edge over the Giants. That's about, uh, what, 1,700, 1,600 entries more than uh, ended up uh, surviving with the Giants uh, because of Buffalo Bills' route of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. That's the recap for week three. There, I will mention uh, once again that there were uh, seven contestants, seven entries that did not make a pick uh, for a week number two, and their thousand dollars went because went down the drain because of those that failure to make a pick. Uh, so, five thousand nine hundred twenty-four. Uh, we'll try our hand at uh, advancing to week uh, four uh, with uh, week three selection, and uh, I'll give you the information on that next week at this time. That was Andy Isco with his Vegas vibe on what's going on with the contest in Las Vegas. And Andy, I know each and every week on the show, you like to pass along the line moves that have happened in the National Football League for the games upcoming this weekend. Take that away, if you would, Andy, please. Sure, Mark. These are based on Westgate lines that uh, they put up 10 days in advance. So, for example, for week three, these lines were put up on the um, uh, the 12th of uh, September, Tuesday the 12th, so before the Thursday night game was even play, played, and then they, uh, uh, we see how they get adjusted once they come back on the board after sun, most of Sunday's action. Uh, the Thursday night game is an interesting one, and I do have some of the comments from the over-the-summer lines to see how much of a reaction there's been in just the t first two weeks of action. For example, Thursday night, uh, the Giants and the 49ers play. Both were playoff teams last year. 49ers, of course, went to and lost in the NFC Championship game. The Giants went out on the road and won their wild card game against Minnesota. Over the summer, this line had the 49ers just a uh, six-point favorite. But when the line came up in advance uh, a week ago Tuesday, 49ers were already adjusted to a nine-and-a-half-point home favorite. Now, this was, again, before this week's actions in which we saw the injury to Saquon Barkley. And yet when the line came back up Sunday afternoon, it was a nine-and-a-half-point spread once again. It did get as high as 10, and it's currently at 10 in favor of the uh, 49ers. Another one that's worth mentioning is the Miami Dolphins and Denver Broncos contest. Uh, the summer line had the Dolphins as a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Now, keep in mind, 
Denver opened the season with a pair of home losses to teams considered non-playoff contenders in Washington and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. In fact, the uh, Broncos were favored in both of those games. Meanwhile, Miami goes out on the road for their first two games as road underdogs and uh, road underdog against the Chargers win that game. Uh, in what may end up being the most entertaining game of the season. And uh, then they go up to New England as uh, a field goal or two-and-a-half-point favorite win that game. Uh, so in advance, the, uh, the three-and-a-half-point line from the summer disappeared, and the Dolphins were made six-point favorites a week ago Tuesday. And actually, when the line got reposted Sunday afternoon, it was six-and-a-half. And when it got reposted after the Sunday night game on Monday, it was still the Dolphins' six-and-a-half. There is one interesting uh, total uh, line that I'd like to go with, and it's the game between the Chargers and the Vikings. They did have this game posted over the summer. Uh, Chargers and Vikings total of 50 and a half. The game is at uh, Minnesota. Uh, when the advance line came out after week one uh, for this game, the total was still at 50. When Sunday's action was over, it got reposted at 49 and a half, which seemed a reasonable adjustment. Uh, however, the public has not seen it that way, and that line has steadily crept up. 54 is the over-under total in this game, which is you know a four-and-a-half-point move from the open, and we don't know if this is one of those setup games where maybe uh, the uh, followers will play the over, play it up again as high as possible, and look to come back and play the under and maybe have a total uh, play of over 49-and-a-half and under 55-and-a-half. Uh, those are uh, the most uh, significant moves the Chiefs, over the summer were nine and a half. They got reposted as 11 and a half point favorites in their home game against the Bears. That's up a point to 12 and a half. And the Raiders, this is this one uh, nobody can decide upon. Over the summer, game was listed as pick. Uh, the advance line had the, uh, uh, the Steelers one and a half point road favorites before any games were played this weekend, actually got back bet down uh, to the game as pick, maybe in reaction to Pittsburgh's horrible effort against San Francisco in the opener. The game then got reposted after Sunday's action uh, as a pick em. After Monday night, it was still a pick em, and yet now the money has come in on the Raiders to where the Raiders are now two-and-a-half-point favorites that had reached as high as three. One thing I say about that is, you know, Pittsburgh, look, they looked ugly. They won, won by defense couple turnovers their offense looks like it's in the 1960s but you got to remember that this team played two very tough defenses to start the season yeah they were that was really rough going up against san francisco and then the cleveland's defense which is absolutely one of the best out there and cleveland makes a lot of mistakes on offense but their defense is very strong yeah, the, the other one I will mention that is worth noting, because especially because it's one of the Monday night games, it's the Rams at uh, the Bengals, a rematch of the Super Bowl of just two years ago uh, when the Rams held on to uh, beat uh, Cincinnati. The over-the-summer line, remember, Rams had a horrible season last year. The Bengals nearly made it to the Super Bowl again. The over-the-summer the over the line had the Bengals eight-and-a-half-point home favorites. And the line that was posted two weeks ago, which followed Cincinnati's ugly loss to Cleveland and the Rams' surprising, uh, okay. especially second-half performance in their upset at Seattle, only a one-point adjustment, seven-and-a-half, despite the fact that uh, Burrow did not look good at all in that opening game. And, in fact, the early action on that advanced line pushed the line down to seven. After Sunday's action, the game was reposted at six and a half on Cincinnati. And then on Monday, there became a lot of thought that mm-hmm. Joe Burrow's uh, ankle is a lot more serious than we think. And there was a reaction. 
I don't recall seeing the Westgate making an adjustment to the line, but rather steady action came in on uh, the Rams in this contest. So that six and a half line, six and a half point line that was posted Sunday evening dropped to as low as the Bengals one and a half. And as we're recording this podcast on uh, uh, Wednesday afternoon, the Bengals are favored, but by just two and a half. That tells me that the public really expects that uh, Burrow a either won't play or if he does play, won't be as effective as uh, we've seen him the first two weeks. We could understand week one, which was due to a lack of uh, any action during preseason. Week two tells us uh, either there's some timing issue or some other uh, aggravating issue with uh, with his, his injury that uh, has not fully healed. And, you know, the, the one consolation, even if, uh, if the, they started 0-2 last year, they did come back to uh, not only uh, make the playoffs, but actually uh, earn the top seed in the division. That was Andy Isco with the line move update, what's going on in the National Football League live from Las Vegas. And with that, let's talk about our National Football League game of the week. We're going to ask Jim Feist to join in here. Jim, our NFL expert, does a great job with all of his videos at playbooksports.com. A terrific job. You don't want to miss those if you're looking for a lot of great extra insight. Let's take a look at our NFL game of the week. Once again, it's being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where they feature a monthly 5% rebate on your losses. That's right, 5% back on your losses if you're a customer with uwager.lv. Simply log on at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free. The number is 1-800-U-WAGER. That's 1-800-Y-O-U-W-A-G-E-R. With that, guys, let's take a look and break down our NFL game of the week. Victor, I'm going to hand this off to you to, to kick this off and start it. The Green Bay Packers take on the New Orleans Saints, a matchup of two playoff hopefuls all of a sudden in this football game. How do you see the up and down going in this contest? Well, guys, uh, first off, we're pleased with the results of last week's NFL game and the OU outcome in that one. Uh, obviously, we talked about you know the Patriots – and the Miami Dolphins game under the total on Sunday night. And uh, even my wife remarked that, uh, you know, your comment on this game is a little long-winded, Victor, and perhaps you shouldn't have talked two hours about that particular game. So I, I apologize for that. But you know what? We got our happy ending. There you go. There you go. Uh, hey, guys, Saints and the Packers, 42-and-a-half is the over-under line. Packers somewhere about a two-and-a-half to two points home favorite and uh you got a couple of teams who have had opposite over under results on the season it's a a little surprising that green bay with the jordan love at quarterback is a, a perfect 2 and 0 to the over on the season there were 58 combined points in their game against the bears in week 1 49 last week in their one point road loss to the atlanta falcons so, again, 2-0 over-under for the Packers on the season. And for the Saints, 0-2 over-under on the season. Only 31 combined points in their Week 1 win against Tennessee. Only 37 in the Monday Nighter last week, a game in which we cashed a winner on the Saints-Panthers under. And we also cashed a team total winner on New Orleans to score under 21 points. We barely got that one home as well. But that's what you got in regards to this particular game. And from a personnel standpoint, uh, New Orleans is hurting big time at the running back position. We already know 
that Alvin Kamara has got one more game left in his suspension, so he's not playing this week. Their number two guy, Jamal Williams, the free agent pickup from the Detroit Lions, he won't be playing this week. Their number three guy, the rookie sensation running back, Kendra Miller, will not be playing this week either for the Saints. So they're basically down to their fourth string running back heading into this game. Now, I mentioned that because there is a good chance that Derek Carr throws the ball 50 or more times in this particular game. We already know Green Bay is a very, poor, uh, very, very good rushing defense anyway. And Carr threw 33 times in week one, 36 times in week two. So there is a chance here that we see 50 or more passes from New Orleans. I'm mentioning that because we are leaning under at this nice, generous current line of 42 and a half points. The series system between these two teams is 13 and 5 to the over all time whenever Green Bay plays New Orleans. In fact, the seven games played in Green Bay between these two teams have gone six overs and only one under the total average of 58.7 combined points per game. Again, that is the way that we're leaning. Uh, I did cover a couple of game-specific situations from our database that do point to this game going over the total in the last four years. Game three road underdogs who are undefeated on the season, that's the Saints, have got a perfect 7-0 and to the over in the last four years when the over-under line is less than 55 points. Another one, I always run a query for teams who went under the total in their first two games of the year, like the Saints. Game three underdogs of two or more points off back-to-back unders, that's the Saints, have gone 18-4-1 to the over since 2015 when the over-under line is less than 51 points. Finally, when we run these two divisions against each other in our database, we get a perfect 12-0 to the over, and I'll take that. It's game two or greater, NFC North division favorites against NFC South division underdogs. That's Green Bay on one side, New Orleans on the other. And the over-under line is under 49. The games have gone 12 and out of the over since 2015 with a nice low over-under line. We think there's some value, and we think we'll see somewhere in the neighborhood of 44 to 45 points or higher scored in this one. So, guys, we will recommend a small play on the over as the Saints uh, take on the Green Bay Packers on the road in Sunday's early kickoffs. A lot of ammo from Victor King to the over in this football game. He says make it a small play over the total in this big showdown game on Sunday. I want to welcome in Jim Feist, our good friend from Las Vegas, to get his take on this football game. Jim, uh, I know you followed the NFL in depth. How do you see these two teams playing it out on Sunday? Well, I'm still in shock from last week. I mean, we went 4-12 and 12 to the under on week one, 12-2 and two of the over last week. So <laughs> I knew there would be a, a flip-flop of that at some point, but I didn't think it would all come in one week. Right. <laughs> but, but I, I could see uh, Victor's analysis here. It, it's uh, excellent points. Um, and I have not been impressed with the way the Saints' offenses look. I mean, they have a defensive head coach. They've not looked sharp. Carr has not looked sharp. Uh, they, they struggled with uh, the Panthers last week. And the Panthers, in my opinion, could be right at the bottom of the worst team in the NFL. It's very close, in my opinion. Um I, I don't know 
how I feel about the, the, the total myself in this game, but all the points that Victor made, I'm going to agree with him and make a small play on the, on the over. What I do think, not, not what I think, but I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, play the Packers. This is a big home game for them. Uh, with love at quarterback, this is, uh, I think he's, he's been playing very well considering the fact that it's new. He's got an offensive head coach. I think their game plan is going to be a lot sharper than what, what um, the Saints have seen so far this year. So I do expect the Packers to put up some points. They are potentially uh, very good on that side of the ball. And I don't know what to expect from the Saints because they have not looked sharp so far in their first two games. But that sometimes turns around. A lot of times turns around. We saw it last week with a lot of teams going from almost scoring nothing to just exploding on, on offense. And uh, it did happen. I'm going with the Packers here. I'm laying the points. Jim's going to lay the points with the Green Bay Packers in this football game. Andy, before I get to my side of the contest, what's your opinion on this play? Well, with a win in Chicago and a one-point late loss in Atlanta, the Packers play their home opener to officially usher in the quarterback Jordan Love era. Uh, Green Bay has been pleased with his uh, progression since he was uh, drafted to succeed the now-departed future Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers, uh, and he's already shown poise and leadership qualities. Uh, despite the 2-0 start, the Saints have struggled on offense, as Jim mentioned, quarterback car yet to provide the expected spark to an offense with a myriad of, uh, of weapons. Uh, however, at the same time, New Orleans defense has been a strength. They've scored just 16 and 20 points in winning by two and three points. Winning those close games is always a good sign, but how long can that continue unless you're the 2022 Minnesota Vikings? Uh, revenge carries little weight in the NFL. Uh, but for what it's worth, these two last met in the 2021 season opener at a neutral site uh, due to hurricane-related issues. The Saints uh, were spanked by the Packers 38-3 to uh, in that one. Uh, but, of course, that had uh, uh, you know, a different uh, uh, situation. Uh, so Saints beat, I'm sorry, the Saints beat the Packers 38-3 to in that game. That was with Aaron Rodgers uh, having one of the worst games uh, of his career. The Packers do have more injury concerns than do the Saints, but the Green Bay worked through those injuries in their opening blowout win at Chicago and last week's one-point loss at much-improved uh, Atlanta. One of the things about the Packers is, remember, they lost two wide receivers to the Jets and a couple of their uh, receivers, including Christian Watson, uh, has been injured. So the fact that Love has been able to be productive with arguably what would normally be third and fourth teamers uh, has to count for something very positive. The home crowd, the start of the Love era are pluses. I'm going to look for uh, Green Bay to uh, get the win here and uh, uh, win by maybe 7 to 11 points. Andy, Victor, both on the Green Bay Packers, will I make it a sweep? My answer to that is no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a small lean to the New Orleans Saints side of this football game, guys. Uh, a couple of things here for New Orleans, I think, which works in their favor. Number one, they've really dominated the NFC North, whereas Green Bay has really struggled against the NFC South. So you have a collision of division teams from divisions that go head-to-head. -head. New Orleans has also cashed in nine of the last 12 road games when coming off a road game. Now, if you like Andy and you like Jim on this side, you're going to love knowing that the Green Bay Packers have been outstanding in home openers. About 15 and one straight up, 
13-2-1 to the spread in their home opening game for the Green Bay Packers. That's all good numbers here. But I also don't like the fact that they played a pretty tough game against Atlanta last week, and they've lost the money five in a row after the Falcons. Small side to me, small side for me, on the New Orleans Saints in this football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. With that, we're going to do what we do every week here. We're going to hand it off to Jim Feist for his NFL video to take a look at what is going on in the National Football League this week. Take a look at what Jim Feist has to say on his video available at playbooksports.com. We're back with some more observations, not necessarily from game two in the NFL, but overall. There's a lot of poor coaching, offensive coaches. I mean, Matt Canada at Pittsburgh is absolutely awful. The head coach, Staley, is absolutely awful. Uh, I know we're talking about Sean Payton, and this is, he's supposed to be one of the geniuses, but, you know, over the summer, he got a lot of calls, a lot of attention, a lot of money offered, took a big job in Denver, but... And sometimes uh, your ego grows beyond where it should. And uh, blowing that game, you can lay it off on the offensive or defensive coach. You can lay it off on Russell Wilson. But you're the head coach, and you can't, you can't blow that kind of a game, that kind of a lead in the NFL and expect to be called a genius. And talk about a genius, the Patriots, Belichick, you know, without Tom Brady, his overall record in his career is under 500. So I think maybe he was a genius because he had a genius quarterback with some offensive help, playing call, call, play calling, uh, quarterback coaching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't know at this point if Belichick could be considered any more of a genius than Tomlin, who these guys are playing football in the 1960s. Now, there's nothing wrong with that brand of football. But in this league, with all the rules that protect the wide receivers from getting touched, with the, the, the rules of scoring, throwing, it's not three yards in a cloud of dust. We look at this... Charger lineup. I'm jumping around here. But that roster, if you look at that roster, why isn't that considered the best team in football, roster-wise? Roster-wise. But when you drop down to a coach like that, they're not even close. Because they give away games, lose games, blow games. The best teams in football right now, in my estimation, the Niners and Dallas are tied for first because the defenses on these two teams are exceptional. We don't know what Dallas will have to do on offense and what they will do when they're pressured because they dominated New York. They beat <laughs> the Giants and the Jets, not saying much. The Niners, they're tough. We know they're tough. They probably would have won the Super Bowl last year had Purdy not gotten hurt. So they're my two top teams right now with Miami right there with them. From the AFC, I mean, you got to look at that Miami team and say, hey, who's going to stop them? And their defense ain't bad. 
So a lot's going to happen this week when they're, they're going to have to host Buffalo in Miami, where it's always hot, difficult. We'll talk to you soon. Once again, another great job by Jim Feist as he overviews the league in the National Football League two games so far into the season. We look forward to each and every week with Jim Feist with the videos that he posts online at playbooksports.com. With that, we're going to move it over to Victor King with his top NFL segment. Victor's going to talk about last week's favorites, dogs, and totals in a review. Victor, I'm going to hand it over to you and take that over, if you will. Right. Uh, we've got a little five- to six-minute video here, Mark. We're going to review what happened in NFL Week 2 action. And Jim mentioned the uh, amazing amount of shootouts we had last week and the fact that the NFL averaged almost 50 points per game, combined team totals, an amazing weekend in the NFL. We got a week three preview, and we've even got a free play in the video from our buddy Tuco, one of his NFL team totals. <laughs> Mark, what do you say? Let's take a look what Victor has to say. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from PlaybookSports.com, the NFL over-under guy for Mark Lawrence's Playbook team. We'll do a quick week two review, a quick week three preview. And if time permits, we may even throw in a free play in terms of totals as well. First off, we do want to thank everybody who's joined us on our King Creole service as we have now started the NFL season with an eight and two documented record with our totals plays. That's four and oh in week one. We went four and two in last week's week two. And again, don't forget all of our selections available each week at playbooksports.com. As is our totals tip sheet newsletter. Issue number three comes out this week. It's chock full of over-under best bets and totals tidbits. And let's run into what happened last week in the NFL. And man, oh man, it was a complete Totals turnaround, almost the exact opposite of what just happened in week one. Remember the first week of the season, four overs, 16 unders, only 41 points per game. Guess what happened last week? A complete 180-degree turnaround, 13 overs, three unders, shootouts galore in the NFL, even eight full games. That's half of the game's that tallied 50 or more combined points. Again, the official results from last week, 13 overs, only three unders. The average over-under line was 43.3. Average combined points, 49.8. That's 8.8 more points were scored in week two than were scored in week one. It was the most overs, that's 13, in a single week in the entire wild card era. And the over percentage of 81% was the highest average in a single NFL weekend since week four of the 2008 season. That is about 15 years. The only three games that went under the total last weekend were the Chiefs versus the Jaguars on Sunday afternoon, the Dolphins versus the Patriots on Sunday night, and the Saints and the Panthers game, which was one of the two Monday night games. Of special interest, and I've done the figures here in our totals tip sheet, Sunday's early kickoff games, the 1 o'clock starts, 
have averaged only 42.2 points per game, but the late kickoff games, you know, the games that started 4.05 or 4.35 Eastern, those games have averaged 52.1 points per game. So your late afternoon games have averaged 10 more points per game than the early afternoon games. And again, with the primetime games going two and two, we will point out that uh, those nighttime games in the primetime have still gone 21 overs, 39 unders in the last two seasons. That is 65% under the total. So what's it going to be in week three? That is the question everybody's asking. Is it going to be that low-scoring result that we saw in week one? Is it going to be that higher-scoring result that we saw in week two? Check out this week's Totals Tip Sheet newsletter as we will give you the skinny on what happens in NFL week three. And with that said, we are going to give the ball to our boy Tuco and give him one of his NFL team totals to play this week. And as you know, Tuco plays a lot of team total over the totals. He went a perfect 2-0 last week in the totals tip sheet. And this week, Tuco is playing on the Minnesota Vikings to go over their total of 26.5 points as they host the L.A. Chargers uh, Sunday in the early afternoon kickoffs. You know, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis was the league's best home over field in the NFL last year. The 10 games played at U.S. Bank Stadium went eight overs. Only two went under the total, an average of 54.5 combined points per game. And with numbers like that, I'd like to take some sort of advantage in some way this week. But with the full game OU line on the high side of 54 to 54 and a half, I'm going to leave this one up to Tuco and instead play a team total. And again, it's the Vikings themselves to score over 26 and a half points. I know that Minnesota has already had their difficulties turning the ball over in the red zone this season. Numerous times in the first two games, if you've watched the Vikings. But at the very, very least, this means a positive points regression is in order for the Purple Men. That means uh, potential cheap points. Not only that, but this one sets up very, very well for the best game of the season thus far for quarterback Kirk Cousins and his Minnesota Vikings. After all, look what the visiting Chargers have done on defense in the first two games. That monster game that Tua Tungo-Bailoa had for the Miami Dolphins in which he averaged 10.7 passing yards per attempt, that's a lot. Even last week when the Chargers took on Tennessee, they allowed 10.3 passing yards per attempt versus Ryan Tannehill. So we're talking about a team that's already allowed 31.5 points per game in their two games. And obviously this means a very long and successful day with the deep ball for Kirk Cousins. The clincher from our database, NFL non-division home teams averaged 31 points per game on offense last season after playing a Thursday road game. That's what the uh, Vikings did last week. They were on the road on Thursday against Philadelphia. So there you have it. Our free play for the week is to go to play on the Minnesota Vikings over their team total of 26 and a half points. That's going to do it for us as far as our little over under segment. 
Don't forget, all of our King Creole selections, and we're having a hot year in the NFL, are available for purchase at playbooksports.com. In fact, you can even pick the shortcut to the website. Write this down. PB.buzz, that's B-U-Z-Z, slash V-K. That's me, Victor King. You can get to our King Creole homepage with that shortcut. Again, it is PB.buzz slash V-K. That is your totals wrap-up for week three. Let's get back to the podcast. Best of luck, as always, this week in the NFL. Once again, another great job by Victor King as he goes over last week in the National Football League, what we can do to help our winning this week in the NFL. And by the way, guys, my good friend Billy Walters, you may have heard the name, Billy Walters, a legendary gambler from Las Vegas. We're going to do an interview with Billy on this show here today. We want to find out what Billy has to say. He's published an outstanding book that we want you to hear all about. With that, I'm proud to introduce my friend, Billy Walters. Welcome, everybody. We're visiting with the legendary Billy Walters, the greatest gambler in the world. That's not what I say. That's what the rest of the world says, and there's a reason for just that. With that, I want to welcome Billy Walters to the show. Billy, how's everything going for you these days? It's going great, Mark, and it's sure good to be with you, my friend. Well, it's nice to have you back on the scene again here, Billy. I know that uh, from your book, and your book is outstanding, I was telling our listeners out there, they buy a copy, they'll pick it up, and they won't put it down. It's just absolutely nonstop, terrific book you put together there. It's called Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk. And if you want to know everything and anything about sports gambling, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy of Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk by Billy Walters. It's a must-have book. Billy, let me let me say one thing before we get into our, our talk or our discussion here. When we first met in Georgia at our good friend's 70th birthday party, uh, somebody snapped a picture of us sitting together at a dinner table. It might have been Larry Miller or his wife. And he sent it back to me in a real nice enclosed picture. And it was a picture of uh, the four of us talking. You were talking. We were listening. And it, he put it on the title there, When Billy Speaks, We Listen. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is in the world of sports gambling guys out there. If you follow Billy Walters, you know exactly what happened. Whatever Billy did, the world followed. And uh, I want to just say my dear late friends, Dave Malinsky and Larry Miller, welcome me into your world. And for that, I'm most proud. And uh, also, I really cherished our time to, that we had together for Larry's birthday. Feelings mutual, Mark. And you're right. Uh, Larry Miller and Dave were both great guys. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a sad occasion. You know, uh, we came down. I knew Larry. We all knew Larry was sick. And he wasn't, unfortunately, wasn't going to be with us much longer. But it was bittersweet. And one of the great things about the trip was you and I got to meet. And, uh, and we still, you know, we, we still have a relationship today, but uh, uh, we've lost two good friends. Uh, both Larry's gone and Dave's gone, and uh, and, and the world certainly is, uh, is, is not as good a place as what it was. No, it sure was. They were two really, really terrific people, great human beings, terrific at their profession, really sharp sports gamblers and handicappers, and it's a big, big loss for our world when they passed. There's no question about that. Right. Uh, Billy, let me ask you this question. Uh, how has the computer and the Internet influenced your approach to sports wagering? I know before the Internet, there was a time when you had a friend of ours, I, I won't mention him unless you want me to, who used to subscribe to newspapers from every major city in the country. He'd have them delivered to him so that he could pour over all the injury information and help you out with that. 
How do you see the internet help? Did it help you or hurt you once that all came to being? Well, you're talking about Bobby, of course. And, I'm uh, talking about Bob, exactly right. Bob, Bobby's, uh, first of all, a great guy. And what, and what Bobby did, I think he was the best. And, uh, you know, I mean, now they're on the internet. You, I mean, you can, they're all, they're all there to be real also. I mean, of course, I think Twitter, uh, Mark, has changed things quite a bit also. And, you know, other types of communication out there. I mean, we still do the same things that we did, but there's also some other sources of information. As an example, I mentioned Twitter and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, I think what a lot of guys do today is they write programs and, you know, you identify certain, you know, uh, people you want to follow on Twitter, whomever that may be, beat, beat writers or coaches or whomever. And then, you know, you capture whatever information that there is out there. But the bottom line is, information is a lot more readily available. It's it's a lot more available to to the mass. Uh, you don't have to work as hard as you did uh, to be able to get that information. And what it done, it does. What it's done, it's it's made things a lot more competitive. And uh, and I mean that's essentially kind of what it's done. At the end at the end of the day, though, the information is. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot more readily available. But at the end of the day, I mean, what do you do with the information? That's to me the most important component. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, is you know, we both have gray hair. We've been doing this a long, long time. It's changed in many, many regards, but uh, it's still the same game. I mean, you got to pick winners and. And over the years, you've been able to reinvent yourself. That's the reason you're still sitting in the chair. And that's the reason, you know, what you're doing, people want to know what you're doing because you're still, you know, a winner at what you do. And uh, mm -hmm. But you've been able to reinvent yourself. I've done the same thing, Mark, over the years, as you know. Uh, I started off with Mike Kent in the late 70s, uh, first guy I wrote a mm -hmm. computer program to handicap sports with. And I realized early on in the, you know, mid eighties, uh, actually early eighties that, uh, you know, Mike was probably going to eventually lose his edge. And I ended up recruiting six other Mike Kent's, uh, to do the same type of work that provided me independent sources of information. And I spent millions of dollars every year on research and development with programs and things such as that to stay ahead of the game. And, uh, but it's, uh, you know, as you, as we both know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a tough racket, and if you're not totally committed to it, it's uh, you're not going to beat it. Well, would you say, Billy, that uh, handicapping today is you're better off with the Internet, the Twitter, and all the social media? Or were you better off in the days of the Golden Goose, Bob Hirsch, and so forth and whatnot, when you felt like you had privy to some information that nobody else had privy to? Oh, I definitely had a bigger advantage in the, in the, in the earlier days, uh, Mark. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, because, again, I worked harder. And, you know, we were a little bit more creative about things we were doing. And uh, we were able to find things out that others didn't know. We found it out quicker. We found out information that others didn't know. Now, you know, everyone's got the same information. So, no, I, uh, from, from that perspective, I was much better off. Uh, years ago than I am today because of the playing field in regards to the information has been leveled. Well, you know, Billy, you moved lines like nobody else has ever moved them before. And uh, I have a feeling that it, it was when Billy Walters ordered up a game, the games moved. Now, 
was that a help or a hindrance to you? Because I know, I know you eventually figured out how to beat those line moves that all the followers were doing, but uh, how do you perceive the fact that when Billy Walters made a move, did it help you in the end or did it help uh, hurt you in the end because of the followers? It didn't help me. Uh, you know, uh, certainly I, I, that's another thing I realized in 80, 81, 82, that we had to figure out a way to move the games without the lines moving so much, because as you know, Mark, you, you start off the season, you've got a prior rating on all the teams and, and the odds maker, he's making a prior rating, you know, us handicappers, we're making prior ratings. I mean, all we're really doing is we're making our numbers. We're betting our opinion against the guys who are making the line. And, uh, and you know we're we're going to have I'm going to have an advantage in some power ratings. I, I, my numbers are going to be better than theirs. You know, vice versa. But if I give my whole card away and the line on the game moves two, three, four points, and the game wins by three touchdowns, and everyone knows that I bet on the game, well, the guys on the other side they know that too. So when they adjust that power rating, they're going to adjust it more so than they would normally because of that, especially earlier in the year. So I realized that, you know, you know, people that were working with me, people that were helping me do what I was doing, I wanted them to make money the same as I was making money. But people who were just following me that really weren't contributing anything, uh, I had to figure out some way to be able to eliminate the majority of those. And that's beginning early mid 80s. I realized that. And that's why I worked as hard on that as I did. Uh, I can imagine. Mark, and that's one of the reasons I was able have been able to stay viable and, and make as much money as I made over the period of years. Uh, others, most others that I know, well, all the others I know, no one's been able to do that. And that's one of the problems that people have is you know, a lot of good handicappers, you know them, I know them. I mean, they'll start off, they've got an advantage, but at the end of the day, that advantage erodes for whatever reason, and uh, they're out of business. Well, I know, Billy, that uh, you hit a great point. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know, you don't have to answer this if you don't choose to, but everything that you did with your computers and all of your programmers and so forth and whatnot, was it about creating a power rating or was it about delving into situations that are going to be beneficial to Billy Walters? Well, well, you know, the, uh, maybe I don't understand uh, the question, Mark, because, of, you know, the things that we did with, with the quantitative guys was strictly all about working on a power rating, but a power rating, you know, I use a lot of qualitative guys too. You know, you mentioned Bobby Hirsch and, uh, right. and what I realized early on, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll mention this guy's name because he's a guy that we all, you know, everybody knows this guy's sacred and it makes numbers. Oh, yeah. you know, but the bottom line is he couldn't beat sports if his life depended on it because the qualitative side of things is, you know, you know, you got to be able to kind of figure those things out too. I've known, and I'm sure you know guys, uh, a lot of years that continue to beat sports that uh, they, they really don't know anything about computer programs. They beat sports of the qualitative side of, the, of, of things. I mean, there's every situation you can't figure it out with a slide rule. And, uh, and over the years, I've been able to combine those two things. Uh, you know, I've worked with a you know, quantitative side. I've worked with some of the smartest people that have ever been in the business. You know, I bet one guy's been with me for 30 years. He graduated number one in his class at Caltech. Uh, I've got another guy's been with me for 30 years. It's a uh, he was, you know, the, the chairman of an economics department at a major university. And 
Of course, I've had guys like Bobby Hurst, who I've had the good fortune of being associated with for 30 years, who, who you know, he reads he reads newspaper stories. He knows the value of, of players. Uh, if one guy's out, he's got a, probably a better feel of the value of, of, of the backup coming in, especially in college basketball, than, uh, than a quantitative guy did. So, you know, I've been able to combine all those things along with the fact, and I think, Mark, you know, one of the strengths that I've had is betting strategy. I've... I'm pretty good at betting strategy. I got a pretty good idea which way the line's going to go. I can pretty much tell you on Monday where that game's going to finish up at on Saturday or Sunday. And and then on top of that, you know, I, I you know, probably the most of the time I end up getting a, you know, a, whatever the best price is. So, you know, betting sports is picking winners, but you also got to you you've got to take good numbers. You got to take good prices. You cannot take bad prices and, and win over any period of time betting sports. I mean, that is an absolute must. So uh, there's a combination of reasons of why I've been able to win and uh, being, being associated with people, a lot of them much smarter than I am over, over the years has, has been has been a big part of it, but it's it's not the only part of it. I like that, Billy. It reminds me of the saying that you're only as smart as the people that you surround yourself with. Right. And it sounds like you put really a heck of a team together there. And, uh, uh, I like the fact that you're not egotistical to the point where you're, you know, you know so much more than they do. That's not what it's all about. It's all about a collective effort by the people that you put together. And I tip my hat to you on doing just that. Uh, well, let me say, uh, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I had the good fortune of uh, being recognized recently in Las Vegas. And when I got up and I, and, and I gave an acceptance speech, the first thing I did was identified the people that if it weren't for those people, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been there that night. And uh, and there's no question in my mind about it. Number one's my wife. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna share a 47th wedding anniversary this Thursday. But uh, Mike Kent, if it hadn't been for Mike Kent, I hadn't met him in the late 70s, early 80s. Well, you know, I probably wouldn't have been there. But uh, but over the years, uh, all the people that I've been associated with. Uh, if I hadn't met a lot of the people I met, uh, I'm sure I wouldn't have had the, the success that I've had. Well, if there's anything I can one-up you on, Billy, is the fact that uh, I met my wife, my high school sweetheart. She's a coal miner's daughter from West Virginia. And right after we graduated from high school, we ran away in a Greyhound bus to Asheville, North Carolina, and got married. That was 56 years ago. Yeah. And probably the best day of my life is when I said I do. And I can tell right now, Susan is your wife, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah, I can tell right now, 47 years, uh, you're, you're, you got to be loving every minute of it. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Mark. And, and you know, if you read the book uh, or if you, if you do read the book, you, you're going to say, well, I'll tell you what, she has stuck with me through thick and thin. And oh, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> thick and thin. So I, I've had the, the, the greatest life partner you could possibly have. And I'm, and, uh, well, that's awesome. Hey, Billy, it's been said that you can – Tell more about a person, the way he handles himself on a golf course, than you can by any other means. And I know you've been known to rub elbows with popular sports celebrities and play a round or two of golf with them. We've all heard the Phil Mickelson stories. Is there any memory or other experience that you had on the links that you might share with our listeners out there? Oh, yeah. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, if you play with someone, you're going to see how they react. If they had a bad shot, you're going to see how that person Marks their ball. You're going to see how that person, you know, if a situation comes up in regards to a penalty, you're going to see whether they call it on themselves or not. Exactly. You're going to learn, in my opinion, probably more about playing 18 holes of golf with someone 
than any most anything that I can think of. And 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 all you got to do is just again you watch that person in that particular situation. You know, I mean, you know, you mentioned Phil Mickelson, and and I, and I'm sure you know your your viewers have an interest in and Phil Mickelson and my relationship. I, you know, first of all, the book I wrote is 28 chapters. He's only two of 28, and the only reason he's in there is because in order for me to tell this story, he had to be in my book. I mean, uh, I took the high road with him. There's a lot of things about Phil and his personal life that aren't in the book. I only put in the book what I had to put in the book to set the record straight about what happened. But bottom line was he and I had a, a banding relationship with for five years. Uh, we were partners, and we had a personal relationship for eight years. And uh, when it came time to be a stand-up guy and uh, do nothing but come to court and, and just tell the truth about what something something that took place, he didn't do it. And as a result, uh, I ended up in prison. And I believe the reason I ended up in prison uh, was because he didn't come to court and he didn't do that. And while I was in prison, Mark, unfortunately, my daughter committed suicide. And uh, oh boy. Sorry so that was what uh, was a determining factor for me that I had to write this book. I had to tell this story. So anyway, that's uh, a little bit about that. But also, I know your viewers have an interest in that. So I thought, you know, I would give you some insight to what our relationship is. Again, in the book, I go into depth, uh, you know, an in-depth ex explanation of the entire thing. On a sidebar note, Billy, uh, I know you've golfed against him and had matches. Uh, how many strokes aside was he giving you? Well, we were playing match play. And of course, I was playing him. I mean, I was an older guy at the time. You know, he and I was playing golf when I was in my 60s and late 60s. And, you know, I had multiple shoulder surgeries and things such as that. And, we were playing match play and we played from the tips of these golf courses too. And we were playing tough golf courses. These weren't, these weren't double bump golf courses and we weren't playing from the white tees. And he was giving me six aside. We were playing match play and he would give me as many as seven aside playing match play. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, we, we probably broke about even, I didn't beat him out of any money. Uh, he didn't beat me out of any, but, uh, it was a, it was a tough game. I mean, you know, you get on the, on the backs of these golf courses, especially in your late sixties. And, uh, you know, you're pounding away with it and, uh, you know, six aside, seven aside sounds like a lot of wood and it is a lot of wood, but <laughs> playing a guy's one of the best players who ever lived, probably the best left-hander to ever live. Well, you got your work cut out for you. I remember one day we were playing a golf course. It was a tough golf course and he birdied six holes in a row and uh, he was one down. I mean, he, he didn't <laughs> like the looks of it either, but it was a tough game for both of them. Well, I got to congratulate you, man. You're in your 60s and you're hitting it from the tips. That's saying a lot. Uh, Billy, you come uh, a long way from the young boy who grew up in rural Kentucky. You were raised by your grandmother to becoming a philanthropist like you are today. You were honored as the philanthropist of the year in Las Vegas in 1997. Kudos to you on that. So here, here you are today. After working 80 hours a week, you were selling cars as a youngster the owner now of multiple car dealerships and golf courses. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously very proud of my accomplishments. And uh, in the book, you know, I wrote this book for a number of reasons, Mark. I wanted to help a lot of people. When I was a young man, I made a lot of mistakes. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've been broke countless times. I had an issue with alcohol at one time in my life. Uh, at one time in my life, you know, really, I... You know, I was a horrible money manager and I got good at what I do by losing and learning lessons. And But one thing that I've had my entire life is res resiliency. And and as far as 
you know, giving back, helping others. I learned that from my grandmother, and uh, that was something that got instilled in me as a very young boy. And and it's I'm still that man today. It's uh, things that I learned from her. I mean, my father died when I was a year and a half old. My mother left, and I was raised by my grandmother. But I could have had four parents, Mark, and I couldn't. I couldn't have had a better role model than my grandmother. She was uh, she was an incredible lady. Well, you say she instilled that work ethic in you, and uh, it shows clear through. So you got to feel really proud of your grandmother. There's no question about that. And I got a kick reading about how at the age of seven, when you went out and got a $40 bank loan for a power lawnmower to start a grass cutting business. Kudos to you, man, <laughs> doing just that. And then at age nine, you went out and got a second loan for 90 bucks to start a paper route. And was, was it your grandmother you said that arranged both of those loans? If it, That's terrific. Yeah, it was my grandmother, and when I went to her, the idea that I wanted to buy this lawnmower, you know, we talked about the money, and I wanted to borrow the money from her. She said, "No, you, I don't, you know, you, I don't have the money. Well, that, but maybe I can arrange a loan for at the bank for you." So, I mean, it was something my grandmother put together with a banker, and, and it was strictly to teach me a lesson. I mean, that's what it was. She took me down to this bank, and uh, the banker, uh, his name was Colonel Luther Coyle. He'd been in the in the in the service and he was a colonel he came out and he still carried that name so we go in there and we sat down and my grandmother she said uh, carl luther said uh, billy thurman and down in the country where i'm from in kentucky everybody calls her by your middle and your first name and uh, so uh, he wants to borrow forty dollars about this pile i'm more with and uh, you know i'll guarantee the loan for him and of course uh, the banker said, well, how are you going to repay the money? And of course I said, well, I'm going to move how much he asked me some questions, how much I could, you know, earn mowing grass. And, and we made a deal. 50% of the money was going to go to the bank. I repaid them and, and they fell out a note and I signed it and she signed it. And he gave me two $20 bills and we went down <laughs> to the Western auto store and bought that fire lawnmower. And, you know, for all those years, you know, I mean, I, I thought that, you know, for, for, you know, for a while that, you know, it was the bank had really lent me the money and, uh, but it was something my grandmother had done and it was to teach me a lesson of responsibility. And uh, that's what kind of, that's what kind of lady she was. Yeah. Well, that's, that, what is, that's, that's a great story. I love stories like that. Uh, you know, when you had a, a grandmother that, who watched over for you and, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, was it your mother was an alcoholic? You you also were an alcoholic. I can relate to that, Billy, because uh, I, too, was getting there, and I've been clean and sober now for 35 years. And what you mentioned is, is that when you got clean and sober, that is when everything worked for you. It allowed you to outwork the lines maker, and you were probably at the top of your game at that point. Uh, what would you say to anybody out there that uh, is on teetering about whether they want to continue drinking and drown in their sorrows or become clean and sober? Well, I mean, bottom line is uh, life is going to look completely different to you once you get yourself clean and sober and, and drowning your sorrows. All it's going to do is, is magnify whatever issues you got. It's not going to make them better. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's not only going to be make them better for you, it's going to make them better for everyone around you. So if you love the people that are around you and you respect the people around you, you know, you, you, you need to make that commitment. The quicker you do it, the, the happier you're going to be. And uh, like I said, everyone around you is going to be. And then life becomes uh, a true joy then becomes a lot more fun too. Well, words of wisdom from a wise man for sure. And uh, Bill, before we let you get going here, I want to share this with you that a good customer of mine, uh, in fact, he's such a good customer of mine. 
he went out and he bought your book. He bought two books and he sent one to me. He got it, he got it before I even had a chance to. He wanted to make sure that I read your book. And he imparted this on me. He said that the number one take that he had from your book was that Down syndrome kids never complained. Could you comment on that? Well, that's true. You know, my eldest son is intellectually challenged. And as a result, I got introduced to, you know, people who have intellectual challenges. And over the years, we have an organization in Las Vegas called Opportunity Village. And I truly believe it's the, it's the number one organization of its kind, uh, certainly in the United States. And we uh, we deal with all types of people that, that, that deal with intellectual disabilities. I have toured and been at through Opportunity Village hundreds of times, taking guests there and potential donors and, and such as, you know, and I've interacted with thousands of intellectually challenged people. Mark, I can never remember ever one time, one of them ever complaining about anything. And, you know, I've asked them many times, how's your day going? You know, just to start the conversation and, you know, it's, oh, I'm having the greatest day. They never right. complain about anything. So. Those are people that that's 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 who my heroes are, because these people come to this world, 70 percent of them, uh, they're dealt, the, you know, the, the, the challenge, the right? entire world and they never complain about anything. Well, that's awesome. Uh, and I'm really, really glad to hear what the work that you're doing with uh, uh, all your philanthropy work and winning the philanthropist of the year award in there. Uh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to guess now, Billy, that when Billy Walters passes, and probably laid the rest somewhere in Kentucky. I'm going to guess back to your back to your roots. On your tombstone are going to be, uh, but I'm going to say five words on top of your tombstone, and they're going to read, "Don't bet against Billy Walters." Hmm. Would you agree that would say it all? Yeah, it probably would. Uh, you know, and I think the reason you probably wouldn't want to bet against me is not because I'm so much smarter than anybody else. I think I'm just more resilient than most people. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably been my number one attribute is my resiliency. Well, resiliency you have to have in this business, in this industry, for sure. Uh, you know, you've been on top of the world, on the bottom and back up on the top. And uh, it, it, it fluctuates a lot like the stock market. And oh. you, you really set a lot of uh, a lot of heights there for people in our industry. Before I let you go, Bill, I need to know two things from you, if you would. Number one. You told me when I met you that you're a big country music fan. And I became one after I married my wife uh, because she was a coal miner's daughter from West Virginia. And we started playing country music in the house. And I really, really love it. It's my number one theme for music, my number one genre. With that, who's your favorite country singer and what's your favorite country song? Man, I tell you what, I got a lot of favorite country music singers. <laughs> uh, probably the out of the singers, my best friend is George Strait. I, George when I was playing poker professionally, he was my partner in a, in a pro celebrity poker tournament in Las Vegas, and we became friends. But my favorite song has got to be The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. The, there you uh, go. I mean, that, to me, that uh, that's something that's been my whole life. It's something I relate to. And uh, and so I'm going to say the song's got to be The Gambler because that's who I am. I am a gambler. But my, my favorite country music singer, probably, if I had to choose one overall, it would be George Strait. There you go. Who could argue with that? George Strait, the legend himself. Really, really good. Uh, I might, my couple of my favorite guys, uh, I was a big Keith Whitley fan, and I think he died much, much, much too young. Yeah. And we all remember George Jones when he was at his best, probably a little bit too drunk, but uh, he awesome. was 
Yeah, <laughs> the possum, exactly. And uh, who didn't like He Stopped Loving Her Today? What a song that was. Well, that was you, it. you didn't ask me this question, but I grew up in a small town in central Kentucky, a little town called Muffordville. And when I was a kid, you know, our social life was a following. Uh, Adolph Rupp was a coach at the University of Kentucky, and uh, there was a radio station, WHAS Radio, and there was a famous announcer. His name was Kaywood Ledford. Oh, yeah. I listened to every game uh, that Kentucky Wildcats played. And then on Saturday night, it was a grand old Opry. So that was uh, that. How was nice was that, huh? Yeah. Doesn't get much better than that. Wow, I love that. In fact, my wife and I went to Nashville with my sister and uh, her brother and sister, and we spent a weekend there. And the highlight of our trip was not only going to the Grand Old Opry, but it was just after Merle Haggard had passed, and they did a tribute to him. They had like 20 singers singing Merle Haggard songs, and uh, that, that was quite a memorable evening for me. I just, uh, I, I really, really ate it up. One second thing I want to ask you here before you go, what was you considered to be the smartest bet that you've made in your life? Marry my wife. There's no question about that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'd yeah. be disappointed if you didn't say that. I know uh, somebody marry, else would do. Marry my wife's clues was the smartest thing I ever did in my entire life. There's not even a close second. That's cool. I love that. Okay, Billy, uh, in closing, I want to encourage all of our listeners out there to buy a copy of your outstanding biography. It's called Gambler Secrets from a Life at Risk. And like I say, it's the number one piece of advice that you're going to have imparted on you from this podcast here. Pick up that book, Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk. Is it available? I know anywhere today, Billy, you can get anything at Amazon. I'm sure other bookstores have got it in stock as well. Uh, but would you recommend people just log on to Amazon and get a copy and have it one day delivered to you? You can do that. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm one of these kind of guys, frankly, I, I like to do business with small businesses and bookstores or whether it's a small grocery or something else, I'm just an old-fashioned kind of guy. You can get it from Amazon. They'll deliver it to your door. But if you got a bookstore where you're at, too, I'm sure they have it, have it, have it in stock also. But regardless, again, I think, you know, there's a lot to, you know, in the book, again, it's it's an autobiography in my life. It's not a vanity book. It's, uh, it's all in there, and I wrote it for a number of reasons. And everything that I know, Mark, and I mean everything I know uh, about sports, it's all in there, 100% of it. I mean, I didn't leave one thing out. Uh, I wouldn't have sold the information, Mark, 10 years ago for $20 million. I'm 77. It's my legacy. And uh, you've read it. You've been around sports as long as I have. And it's pretty obvious. Uh, everything that I know is in there. So it's full of charts, and as, as you know, that's going to help people substantially in regards to buy and half points, comparing money lines to point spreads, things such as that. So... And it also, it explains my relationship with Phil Mickelson in detail. And, and it also explains the time I was in prison and, uh, and what that was all about, too, because I really didn't know what prison was, was like until I went into prison. But it was an eye-opener also. So it's all in the book. And uh, if you do buy it, I hope you, you do enjoy it. Well, it's quite a legacy you've left for us, Billy. Uh, I know everybody that buys that book is absolutely guaranteed to improve their bottom line just by osmosis, if nothing else, but get into the book, read it, and I can guarantee you're going to really improve the way that you become a smarter sports gambler. Billy, I've enjoyed visiting with you immensely on this show here. I'm going to wish you nothing but the best of success and luck, and do me a favor, if you will, give Susan a hug for me. I will, Mark. Feelings mutual, my friend. It's good talking to you again. Likewise, Billy. Take care, stay safe, and be well. I will. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Billy. 
How nice was that interviewing Billy Walters, the man who knows a lot about sports wagering. There's no question about that. I really enjoyed my time when I visited with him in Georgia, him and Dave Alinsky. It was a memory I'll never forget. Mm. With that, guys, we're going to move over to our awesome angle of the week on the show this week. And I want to remind you that this is being brought to you by our new sponsor, the Transact Card. For more information on the Transact Card, you see it right here, the Transact Card. This is a debit card, a Visa debit card. At any time you use this to pay for anything, debit or credit it will be, they will match 100% of whatever it is you spend. You heard me right. You spend $100, they're going to give you $100. You spend $50, they're going to give you $50. you got to check this revolutionary card out right now. Simply log on at playbook.transact, T-R-A-N-Z-A-C-T.com, playbook.transact.com to find out how you can put this beauty in your hands. You're going to love exactly what it can do for you to stretch your dollars. Now, on to our awesome angle of the week on the show this week. Our awesome angle this week is called Sour Homecoming. And what we're looking to do is to play on any one-on-one NFL home favorite in game three of the season if this happens to be their home opener, playing against these guys. So what we're doing is we're taking a team that opened on two in a row on the road. They're coming home for game one in this particular role. They're one and one in the season. They're just by playing against them, we're 14, three and one, meaning these home teams are just three, 14 and one against the spread. That's the reason that I'm backing the New Orleans Saints against Green Bay. I didn't want to spill the beans earlier when we talked about this game. <laughs> but that's the neat, awesome angle inside this game against Green Bay, favoring the New Orleans Saints in this football contest. With that, let's move on to our complimentary plays on the football card this week. Victor, I'm going to hand it off to you. First of all, to find out what you've got on tap and perhaps your team total of the week, if you will. Sure, we can definitely help you out there. You know, if it's a Wednesday, it's newsletter day at Playbook, right? And hot off the press, there you got it. This week's Playbook newsletter, hitting those college football and NFL best bets at a solid percentage to start the season. Available for download, just 12 bucks at PlaybookSports.com, as is this week's Total Tip Sheet newsletter, Revenge of the Overs. Jim talked about it just a few minutes ago. This week's issue, Total's Tip Sheet newsletter, available for $11, again, at playbooksports.com. Uh, I mentioned the fact that we've started the NFL season with a really nice 8-2 and two ATS record with our King Creole Total's plays. Last week, the four-star over of the week was in the Seattle Seahawks-Detroit Lions game. You saw how that game ended. We cashed a winner as early as the third quarter in that one. Both teams scored over 30 points. They went into overtime. It was a shootout, and everybody was very, very happy who bet and uh, purchased that particular play. And you can purchase this week's four-star over of the week in the NFL from King Creole. Again, it's available for purchase at playbooksports.com. Not only that, the website shortcut address to get to our King Creole page each week. Just type this into your web browser, pb.buzz slash vk. That'll take you right to our King Creole um, shortcut to all of our selections that we have available at playbook.com. With that said, guys, I'll run through this very, very quickly, but our free play of the week is going to be an under, and it's in the Buffalo Bills. Washington Commanders game. Now, here's a game in which both he went over the total last week, so you're going to get a lot of the betters. 
bit. Want to kind of knee jerk a little bit and bet the over. Uh-uh, we're going the other way. That's going low in the Buffalo Washington game. And uh, make sure your line is somewhere in the area of 44 and a half to 45 points. The signature system behind this one looks at low scoring recent tendencies in these non-conference affairs, an AFC team taking on an NFC team. And here you go, 2-18 and 18 over under last four years. We're talking about game 13 or less. AFC conference road favorites against NFC opponents when the over-under line is 48 or less. This one qualifies in that 90% under the total. Buffalo is one of four teams this week that's been tabbed as road chalk, games in which the road team is favored. And you already know how we feel about those games, more unders than overs. But how about this week specifically, guys? I'm glad you asked. 1 and 15 now from our database since 2016 season. Any NFL game three in which the road team is favored by more than a field goal. Buffalo's currently minus six and a half. There you have it. 1 and 15 over under, guys. We're going under the total. Buffalo versus Washington. That is your free play for the week. And, of course, don't forget our four-star over the week. Last week, Detroit-Seattle over. We've got another one going over this week. It's available at the website and also our shortcut web address of pb.buzz slash vk. There you have it. Victor's not winging it with Buffalo. He's going the other way and under the total for his complimentary call on the show this week. Jim, any parting thoughts on the National Football League card? You may have, it may not be a selection. I need, I know you've done a lot of reviewing. You do a lot of homework. Any thoughts you want to impart with our listeners before we leave the show this week? A little puzzling, and maybe somebody can help me answer this. The Detroit Lions opened six and 45 and a half, and the, the total went up a half a point. It's up to 46. But the line, Went from six to three. Now, you've got Atlanta coming off that very tight win at home. I think they won 25 to 24 over Green Bay. Now they go on the road to the Lions, who lost in overtime last week to Seattle. That was good for me. I did have Seattle in that game. But this is a big move from a six to a three. Can anybody explain why that's happening? Andy, have you heard anything? I have not seen any significant injuries which would normally uh, create uh, such a move, such as we talked about in the Cincinnati Rams game Monday night. So unless there's something that I have missed, and I see Victor may have some thoughts, I cannot understand uh, the move. Uh, First off, there is a chance that Detroit's number one wide receiver may not play in this game, and that's our buddy Amon Ross St. Brown. Of course, he's not worthy of a three- to four-point line swing. I understand that. Uh, There's also a chance that running back, number one running back, Montgomery, won't be playing for Detroit as well. So they may not be playing with a full deck on offense. Not to mention, guys, Atlanta is a team that's still got people scratching their heads, but they are uh, 2-0 on the season now as Desmond Ritter gets more mature by the week. And he's got weapons galore now in Kyle Pitts and uh, Drake, and, of course, the rookie running back, Robinson, as well. But I can tell you that uh, Detroit may not be playing with a full deck on offense this week. I I was going to say that I think 
that the play, that the move, and you sort of des- described it there, the move appears to be more on Atlanta than against Detroit, especially with Robinson and what he's shown in his uh, first couple of games. Because uh, I don't know that any of the – I think the injuries you mentioned were known at the time that the line came out Sunday afternoon. This has all been movement since Monday. Now, no, guys, there's two Atlanta, things I see in this Atlanta game here. Is a team, Atlanta is a team that likes to uh, – they run the ball, they control the tempo, they control the pace of the game. And they don't ask Ritter to do a lot, at least not yet. So now they're going to go up against – maybe that's why the – but that it hasn't affected the the total move very much because if, if they're going to control – and they do have a very strong running game. So if they can do that, you would expect the total to go down as well, especially since Detroit has the offensive injuries or questionable people. So I see the line move – on the, on the spread, but not too much on the total. Well, the thing I was going to say, the two things that I think I see in this football game are two. Number one, the Atlanta Falcons were a very popular team in the offseason here as far as their season win total went. Everybody was projecting them to get over the total. They had the easiest schedule that they're going to be taking on of anybody in the league this season. They've gotten off to this 2-0 and start. The other part of it is from my well-oiled machine that lives inside of me. And I can't do anything without thinking about the well-oiled machine. And <laughs> you know what I see here in Detroit is, well, I'll repeat again, Detroit is a team that last year won more games last year than they did their previous two years combined. And you play against these teams when they're favored the following year. And I think you're, you're, we're seeing, you're going to begin to see the struggles of the Detroit Lions and how popular they were with the gambling public. So take it for what it is. Like Jim mentioned, there's a big move in that particular football game. Andy, one quick thought before any thought you might have on the show before we go on your complimentary play for the show this week. Well, it's interesting that you were just spending the time on the Detroit Atlanta game, because that is the play that I'm going to use this week. And uh, I'm going with the Lions to bounce back after last uh, week's uh, overtime loss in which they trailed for much of the contest and then came back and ultimately uh, were caught and the game went into overtime with Seattle getting that touchdown without Detroit getting a chance to uh, uh, to match it. You know, Detroit was expected to continue the momentum established over the second half of last season, while Atlanta was a chic pick for the wise guys, as you sort of mentioned, to be one of this season's most improved teams with a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. And remember, that team last year from the wise guys that everyone was wondering, why? what's the fascination? Well, they were the Philadelphia Eagles. That turned out pretty well, making it to the Super Bowl. Falcons have started 2-0, and but now they do play their first road game. The Lions followed up their opening 21-20 Upset win at Kansas City with a spirited but losing effort in overtime last week in their home opener to a Seattle team that, quite frankly, was embarrassed on um, opening day. Let me just uh, catch my breath here for a second. This game will provide a good test for both teams. Can Atlanta carry over its early season success now that they play away from home? Can Detroit do what good teams do and bounce back from a tough loss, especially in a potential look-ahead spot with a trip to Green Bay up next? Although much of their success is related to the passing game, the Lions have shown steady improvement in running the football in recent seasons, and the defense remains a work in progress, but we've already seen signs uh, that uh, that will be improved this season, especially with their pass rush. There's much to like about the Falcons, and over the course of the season, I expect to be on them more than against them, but this is a spot that does favor the host with rejuvenated quarterback uh, uh, Goff displaying leadership uh, abilities and enjoying rabid crowd support from a base that's 
buying into the hype following last season's late run for a coach that uh, the players have really bought into in his uh, couple of years on the sidelines in Detroit. Andy Isco going to stay at home with the Detroit Lions for his complimentary play on the show this week. And before I get to my complimentary call on the show this week, I want to remind our listeners out there that my once a month five-star college football game of the month is going to kick off this Saturday. And you know, I love this football card with seven, no less than seven matchup of top 25 teams. It's another live dog that I see winning the game straight up. You can pick it up with a $99 football weekend of winners at playbooksports.com or call my office toll free to get on board at 1-800-321-7777. With that, my complimentary call on the college football card this week, I'm going to play an Oklahoma State and take three and a half points from a real struggling Iowa State Cyclone football team. Now, it appears that Oklahoma State may be missing a Cotter pin or two this year. The fact of the matter is, while they struggled last week, they're still 2-1 and one on the season. Their season isn't going anywhere, but up to end this football season. They'll be a bold team this year, and I don't think Iowa State's going to do that. You look at Oklahoma State the last four years in big 12 openers. They've cashed the ticket all four times. They've also cashed the money in this series four times in a row. What I see in Iowa State is a football team that is seriously in disarray. We may not see Matt Campbell on the sidelines for this football program next year unless they can step things up. They're just 1-10 straight up in their last 11 games against FBS opponents. So I'm going to play the dog who's 2-1 and one this season and fade the favorite who's 1-2 and two in swirling. Give me the points with Oklahoma State for my complimentary call on the show this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. Another great job by our co-host on the show, Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, and the legend himself, Jim Feist, live from Las Vegas. I also want to thank the legendary Billy Walters for joining us on the show. What a great interview we had with Billy Walters. A quick reminder to pick up that book, Gambler, The Secrets of Life at Risk from Billy Walters. You'll pick it up and you won't put it down. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always. 